Hello, Michael here with a quick disclaimer. The episode that you are about to listen to was originally recorded as a live event, meaning that it was recorded and streamed over our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash the RPG Academy, or broadcast as a live event or recorded as a live event for our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash the RPG Academy. Hopefully you will understand why the audio quality of this episode is not quite up to the same standards you have come to appreciate and expect from our show. And on the off chance that when you listen to this episode, you don't really notice a difference between this episode and a regular episode, don't say anything, because that will make me cry. Thanks, and enjoy the show. So there's usually a few second delay. So it's just pretty common that I'm always talking like this. And then I'm like, oh, we're probably live now. Hello <laughs> and welcome to Detention Live from the RPG Academy. I am Michael. And tonight with I have a very special guest with me uh, from the Going Last podcast, as well as Atomic Game Theory, as well as the, the gosh darn fiasco. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, and your all the other things that you do. Rich Molina, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. Yeah, there, there's a couple things, but I, that's the list. Just, yeah, you know. I mean, you know, that's the, the important ones, I guess, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So for anyone who isn't familiar, what is Atomic Game Theory? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Atomic Game Theory is a show that I started, gosh, last year, maybe. And it is it is just applying game theory to games because game theory just gets applied to economics. And that's boring. I don't care. <laughs> so... I think games are fun and I wanted to analyze them. So I just started breaking things down. Very, very cool. And then actually, yeah. I, I've neglected to mention you have successfully kickstarted a project. I did. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Time flies. Uh, <laughs> that was that was back in February that I kickstarted the puzzle key ring, which is kind of like a guide to solving codes and puzzles, things like that. It was good. <laughs> very, very cool. I know, I know you mostly from going last. Uh, right. that, that's where I first experienced you. And I've said it many times, Going Last is one of my favorite podcasts. I absolutely oh, love it. Oh, thank you. I listen to it every week. Um, I just think you guys, I love the chemistry that you guys have. I feel like I'm just hanging out with friends, which I think is, <laughs> is like the best thing a podcast can do. Uh, and I think you guys do it very, very well. So well, thanks. thank you for doing what you do. Yeah, Ken and I met 10 years ago. So there's there's a lot of friendship there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, Craig joined us. He says he also loves Going Last. Oh, thank you. Uh, Craig Campbell from Nerdburger Games. He uh, is the di designer of mergers and acquisitions, and he's working on capers, which he's going to test at a catacon just because I had to get the catacon out early in, in the introduction. That's good. Um, so, Craig, since you're there, we played around with our audio. Uh, are Rich and I close to the same volume? Why don't you give me some volume there, Rich? Oh, this is my volume right here. And this is my volume right here. <laughs> now, my, my voice is a little weird. I'm a little weak voiced, but overall, is the audio levels about the same okay couple wow a couple people jumped in so that is awesome that's fantastic what, that's what we're trying to do <laughs> uh, so for anyone who is new or maybe listening in the future who is new uh, detention is our weekly talk show the idea is that someone got themselves in trouble and they're here in the academy after hours and there's a faculty member here to watch after them <laughs> so it's all these hooligans and ne'er-do-wells and academaniacs as we like to say so we start as we always will. Rich, what are you drinking tonight? Well, tonight I have some work to do. So it's, it's only like six o'clock here. So yeah. I am drinking some Pepsi Cola with real sugar. 
questions? Uh, so Craig asked if you're going to be at a catacon. I believe the sad answer is no. The, the answer is no. There will be a table with a Going Last logo on it, and that, that's as close as I'm going to get this year. <laughs> someday. Sad. Someday, though. S- someday. I do have plans because I want to go real bad. <laughs> you will be missed. Um, as for myself, I'm drinking my traditional L81. When I'm not drinking water, I'm drinking this. <laughs> Uh, it's a it's basically a sweet ginger ale, a lot of caffeine, which I also need because I'm yeah. very, very tired. Because you've got the super late night shift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost nine here. It actually is nine here. You're on the uh, West Coast. It's a little bit later. Right. <clears throat> so let's talk extracurricular. And this is oh where gosh. we uh, talk about things that have been going on in our lives. It doesn't have to be gaming related, though it often is. So what's been happening in Rich's life the last few weeks? <laughs> uh, let's see. Um is it has it been long enough? Can I I can still talk about like Gen Con and PAX, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. So I took Atomic Game Theory on the road and I did a panel at both of those shows. Um, the one at Gen Con was kind of like uh, an introductory, a 101 class, and it was uh, focused on what game theory is, how it applies to games, breaking that all down. That was fun. And then at PAX, I went to Dev and pitched a panel called the, uh, oh gosh. Uh, a history of betrayal. That was it. And I just yeah. focused on all sorts of trader mechanic games and, and ran them all down. And it was a lot of fun. And one of the developers of uh, betrayal at house on the hill was in the audience. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> although they're all friends of mine. It's totally cool. But right. uh, it was a moment I was worried about. Um, okay. So there was that um, I'm in the middle of a move right now. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. You're moving yeah. to from Portland to Los Angeles. Los Angeles, yeah. Yes. We are we are right in the middle of that. We are we are currently uh, staying with a friend and have put in our apartment pitches at this. I'm just going to call everything a pitch today. <laughs> uh, application, <laughs> and we'll see we'll see what happens there. But yeah, nice. so, um, so if it, I can ask, what prompted the move? Oh gosh, um, I had been teaching for ten years, so I was looking for something different. And uh, my wife has a lot of opportunities down here, and I heard it was warm, and so. <laughs> I don't know. Portland is, is a good place. It's a great place, but I've kind of lived my whole life there. So right. moving well, to something big. It's an adventure, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, well, I mentioned at the top of the show, but I don't know if people were listening just then. Uh, my voice to me sounds really weird. I don't know if to anyone, because I, I always sound weird. Let me, let me clarify that. <laughs> but <clears throat> I have a bit of a weak voice. I've been having a persistent cough. Finally went to the doctor. They gave me some, um, like an inhaler, steroid inhaler. And I've been sounding weird wow. ever since. My voice just sounds a little bit off. The coughing has gotten <laughs> better. It's not gone completely, but it's better. Um, but I uh, I had a terrible, I shouldn't laugh, but I had a terrible scare on Monday. Uh, so I had, um, I had some tests done. And they called me on Tuesday. And I was in a meeting at work. And they just said, you need to call us back. But the nurse who called... Like, just was sounded very down, like, you need to call us back. Uh-huh. And anyone who's been around the show for a while knows I had a had a scare a few years ago. I had a brain tumor, had a very terrible situation where a nurse called me and said, I can't tell you why, but you have to go to the hospital right now. Oh, my gosh. So anytime I'm, you know, trying to get information from the, from a nurse now, I'm just, I'm paranoid. So I call back. They, no one answered. And I'm thinking, I'm dying. I have cancer. I have, you know, something's wrong with me. Uh, and finally, I got through, long story short, and 
everything's fine. And okay. It's like, okay. I, I get that a nurse's job, jo- nurses have one of the worst jobs in the world, but could you just give a guy like a, when you have a chance or you right. know, no rush? Cause it was just so like, <laughs> oh my God, I'm dying. And I couldn't get through to anybody. It was, it was terrible. But the only problem I currently have is one, I'm terribly overweight and my, my voice is screwed for some reason. So, oh my gosh. What are you going to do? Wow. It's, yeah. I mean, efficiency is one thing, but I think just getting in there and saying the time frame that you should call back is just, that's good for your own sanity. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it would be a good move. Um, and, I, and I know I've covered this before, but since you're here and I think it's pretty applicable, I did an escape room for the first time oh, oh yeah? a few weeks ago. Loved it. Good, Absolutely good, good. loved it. It was so much fun. I, I literally tried to talk the group into going right back in and doing th- the other one. <laughs> I was like, I want to do this again now. It was awesome. Um, so have you done one? I know Kenna did one. She talked about it recently on the show. Yeah. Have you done an escape room? I did. I, I got married recently and there was an escape room at my bachelor party. <laughs> we definitely did some did some traveling. That was important to do. But uh, I really like escape rooms and I'm excited that in L.A. there's a whole bunch that I've never done before. That's I have a spreadsheet. I have I have access to a spreadsheet like reviewing all of the escape rooms in Los Angeles. Oh, really? Yes, it is wonderful. <laughs> nice. I found so. there is a there's a place in Dayton, which is where a catacomb is. And I have not contacted them yet, but they're on my short list to see if they want to do something like cross promotion, maybe give us discounted tickets in exchange for telling people about it. And, you know, I might even sneak off and do one because I was sure. Yeah, that was so awesome. There's a, there's one right next to Gen Con, like like blocks away. And I can't remember what it's called, but every time I see it, I'm like, what the heck? Why wouldn't I go to this? I, the only thing I can think of is <laughs> it's Gen Con, though. Like, you know, yeah. would you want to take time off of Gen Con to do that when you could really do that anywhere? Unless I it was guess. like a super cool one. You right, know, yeah, that, that type of thing. So, yeah. So, if you've got a good one, then for sure. <laughs> yeah, our, ours was, it was a prison breakout scenario. It was uh-huh, pretty uh-huh. awesome. But anyway, I like it. sure. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. So, with that out of the way, um, we will do again what everyone's favorite part of the show is when we embarrass ourselves terribly. Okay. <laughs> uh, we we start with the minimal embarrassment, and then it gets more embarrassing later. Of course. Uh, which is ten things. So if anyone doesn't know, 10 Things is an improv game where the idea is to focus on immediacy and we will prompt each other to give us 10 examples of something and then we try to come up with those as quickly as we can. Uh, And again, focus accuracy is not as important as immediacy. So Rich, you are the guest. Would you like to prompt first? Would you like the receiver to give like the (laughs) $25,000 pyramid? Let's see. I I think that I... Am I in for a prompt? I think I'm in the prompt first. Okay, so you're going to give me... Ten things. I'm going to give away. Oh, Hold gonna, on. No, let's gonna, go the other way. Let's go gonna, the other way. <laughs> well, no, you're gonna add, so I'm sorry. You're going to ask me to give you ten things. Yes. Gotcha. How's that? Perfect. All right. So what what am I doing? All right. Let's see. So ten things. And it can be about anything. Be about anything. Ten things. Yep. Um, can I do... Let's see. Uh, ten things that you expect to find during a catacon cleanup. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> ripped up character sheets. Okay. Pencils. Sure. A D4 with my foot. <laughs> uh, of course. Uh, a badges that were never picked up somehow that got lost. Uh, yeah. Lanyards. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, raffle tickets that didn't win. Oh, that's sad. Uh, prizes that no one picked up. Oh, sadder. Uh, <laughs> Money. Let's just say that. Yeah, there's there's a couple bucks laying around. There's some couches. Uh, the the bill that I still have to pay. 
uh, and a secret note that will lead me to Valhalla. Yes. Okay. I hope someone writes that note and leaves it <laughs> somewhere that you can find it. Nice. Alrighty. Wow. That was actually a pretty easy one, I'm going to say. So, yeah, uh, that, yeah. that's okay though. I I suck at these games. Uh, Matt and Scott, who <laughs> yeah. are my normal co they're both Im- trained improv improvisation or improvers, whatever you call it. Yeah, uh, right. uh, and they're good at it. And so I've always liked the guy who sucks. So it, it's nice to have one softball here. Well, I, I wanted to I wanted to help cross promote. That's all. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So, um, Rich, give me. 10 things you would have called your show atomic theory uh-huh. game theory if you didn't call it atomic game theory Ooh, uh, i wanted to call it atomic games but that's a game company um oh. i wanted to call <laughs> that was the first one um going last theory two uh didn't like that um <laughs> uh the game theorists oh, three that's also a youtube channel i couldn't use that one oh. um what else would i have called it um uh astronomy game theory because i like that i like that four um well let's see putting it all together something that means putting it all together um game gravitation maybe five Five. or maybe splitting it apart so we might go game fission game fusion theory six let's go break it apart um uh hello i'm really smart um that was the thing i thought about (laughs) (laughs) i'm smarter Uh, than you how better um, games (laughs) <laughs> how to uh how to win at games and lose friends at the same time Eight. that's another good game theory thing um oh gosh uh uh diving in deep to games nine didn't, didn't like that a whole lot um, kind of dirty yeah um and uh games and game theory 101 uh, because then I would have had to do 102 and 103. That was just a poor choice. Ten. To use those. That, that was yeah. You blew to that. Congratulations. That was ten. That was a good ten things. That was terrifying. <laughs> it was. It was good that you asked me a question that I had real answers for. Yeah. Um, uh, that was. I, it was hard to name it. I thought I was going curveball there, but you had those right off top. Oh my gosh, it was tough. So atomic is actually. Um, Richard Garfield wrote this book called Characteristics of Games. I'm just going to do my whole spiel right now. Sure, yeah, and he, he talks about atoms as being like the, the what games are built from is a bunch of little atoms. And so that's like a choice. And so that's what we talk about are those little tiny choices. So atomic fit. Yep. And again, trying to find a name for things. Again, I have struggled with that. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's hard. Poor choices that I've paid, paid for. Uh, yeah. So, yes, I completely understand. Oh my gosh! Sorry, cough still coming back a little bit. I'm trying to mute myself while I'm packing. <laughs> what can I say? Hmm, yeah. No. <laughs> All right, so we're going to move into kind of like the main part of detention here, and this is what I'm we call ready. used books. Uh, the idea is that we're going to talk about a campaign that we have played in the past, maybe one that ended spectacularly or one that that worked well, and we're looking for uh, lessons learned, things that we could either take from it and do in our games to make them better, or things to avoid in our in our future games. Uh, so, Rich, you are the guest, so you're going to have a campaign for us to talk about tonight. So okay. Tell us about this Perfect. campaign. Perfect. So, I, I was thinking about this a lot, and I have... Excuse me. I always get the burps once during any broadcast. I apologize. <laughs> well, then you're done. You got no more. Yeah, that should be it. Uh, ask Kenna. She'll, she'll make fun of me. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um... I, I played in a camp. Well, I ran a campaign of Deadlands for uh, I want to go with four years oh. while I was in college, and so I want to focus on that campaign in particular. Sounds good. Um, 
Deadlands is, especially that first version was this ridiculous, like I called to me so much. Like that was such a thematically perfect game. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't play the D20. I didn't play, I haven't played Savage Worlds yet, although I think that's supposed to go back to it a little bit more. But the idea that we were just using decks of cards to play was so cool. (laughs) And, you know, so many of the characters just require, here's a hand of cards. What's the best hand you can possibly get? And that determines your success. And it was just so good. And, and when I ran it, I, I struggled. I struggled so much. <laughs> it's, it's an enormously wide world, right? It's, it's the weird West. So like the, the Civil War doesn't finish because this calamitous event occurs and magic happens and now there's undead walking around. And so you can play the campaign like anywhere in the South or in the West or... It was just huge, and I didn't even know where to start or where to go or or how to come up with it. And it was weird because, you know, like Forgotten Realms, if you were going to run in Forgotten Realms, you'd have a story to, like, hearken back to maybe. (laughs) And, you know, you can always run a campaign where you meet Drizzt and go on from there. That's (laughs) totally fine. (laughs) But uh, but I didn't know what to start with. And so I I needed a, a major plot line. And the other thing I wanted was to make it very sandboxy. And so I was stuck in this place where I know a lot of people are, like, how to run a sandbox game but make it not just a sandbox game right. <laughs> because to those are hard. the illusion of complete freedom, but still not have to plan for complete freedom. Yes, exactly. And so I took a step back and I thought about, this is going to be like a two parter. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. yeah go for it. <laughs> okay. yeah, we got all the time in the world. So I had run a birthright campaign for seven years. Birthright is possibly my favorite campaign in the world. Oh, have you ever played birthright? No, <laughs> Oh my gosh. It is a kingdom building game, right? So that's the, the big thing is you are one of the regents of a kingdom and you're trying to, I don't know, do stuff. Yeah. And it's really, it's really kingdom unclear. Stuff. Yeah. Kingdom stuff. But uh, the game had these really powerful villains and they were called the Anshe. They were terrifying. They were in specific, they led kingdoms. And so you knew where they were all the time. And as my party expanded and they went to war with some neighbors, they made friends with neighbors. I, I focused on these newspapers that I would write about what everyone was doing like once a year. Okay. And so, so they were doing their own things, but these major villains were always a part of the story and they were always keeping track of them. And so sometimes when they had a free like turn, they would be trying to investigate one of those major villains. And that campaign was fun. You know, it was the kingdom building got a little, you know, stuffy i guess yeah. <laughs> and so we stopped playing eventually you know seven years later we stopped playing eventually uh that game actually ended because of third edition which oh. <laughs> was, uh yeah trying to change the whole system that system doesn't work in third ed but so the the deal is i wanted to apply that to deadlands and i wanted these major villains that we could keep track of all the time and i wanted them to mock the characters constantly and i didn't want it quite to be a set of rivals although that sort of happened over time but well yeah but like i wanted them to constantly be on the lookout like i want to find um oh gosh they were the the uh they were all cards so they were all the hearts so uh the queen of hearts was like a sorceress i want to go track that queen down and uh because the last session she messed with me a little bit and so you you hear something we head over to uh lost angels the city of lost angels or whatever um i think that was a 
like a city full of canals and it had its own world to it. Well, Cal- California kind of, there's an earthquake and it kind of breaks off. But yeah. There's all yeah. these like canyon mazes on the edge of the water there. Yeah. With the maze uh, serpents, maze dragons or something yeah, like that. Something like that. It was that, so yeah. good. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it was just great because they would get there and they would start doing something else because it's not like she's right there and they can find her. Right. They get a new adventure when they're there and they start on that. And then one of the other rivals or villains or whatever might be one of the major characters. And so it turned out that for me, that was the perfect way to run like a sandbox campaign where these characters were still going to run around and they were going to do all these things and they were going to be, you know, led of their own volition, I suppose. But I... I don't, I don't know. It felt sandboxy, but I had these linear guides. Like I knew every time that's the type of mission this villain would be, you know, in the background of or nearby. So it was, it was one of the fan, I don't know. It was one of the best campaigns I think I've ever run. And yeah. So so I definitely (laughs) think that there's some stuff that we can dive into. I'm ready. But before though, I'll tell my, you know, cause it's all about me. Yeah. Uh, My experience with Deadlands. I'm so excited. (laughs) I played it in college uh, as well as first time I ever played it. It was the original version, which you, you know, you had poker chips and use the dice. I thought, or um, cards, I'm sorry. I yeah. thought there might have been dice too. I don't remember. Oh, there's a bunch of dice as well. Okay. So <laughs> it was like roll dice to get hit a target number, which would give you a certain number of cards to make your hand with. Okay. That's like how spell casting works. It was something like that. Uh, yeah. I played a muckraker. Uh, oh, so, nice. You know, my idea was to, I was going to write up our adventures for the paper. I can't remember what it is, like the Cronenberg Chronicles or something. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah. I know there's a Deadlands one too, or, or Eberron, sorry. But there, that was a big thing in Deadlands that there was the paper that would publish everything. It was like the, mm-hmm. you know, most people didn't believe it. It was like the uh, world weekly world news version. Of yeah, 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 yeah. So that was my <laughs> plan. And, and I remember I had a lot of fun with it. Um, it was one of the few times I got to play. They had someone else actually agreed to, to DM. And we had that weird situation where the NPCs knew what we were doing, even though there was no way they could have known what we were doing. Sure, yeah. The DM was kind of metagaming against us a little bit. Um, and uh, it was fun, but there were a couple moments where I was just like, oh, that could have been so much better. You know, if you would have let us do the <laughs> thing we planned, we would have had more fun. Uh, so Craig yeah. jumped in. It's the newspaper was the Tombstone Epitaph. Oh, that's it. That's right. Yep. I loved that game because it also, like a Muckraker is a great character because they had the tale telling mechanic mm-hmm. where if you told the story of your adventure really well, you would like lower the fear levels and right. you would get those legend chips and they were awesome. Yeah. So just <laughs> shooting all the bad guys in Deadlands doesn't actually solve the problem. Nope. You have nope. to make people less fearful. And the muckrakers were good at doing that. Uh, you guys, I, I've said this before, going last has cost me more money in Kickstarters. <laughs> uh, I did the 20th anniversary version of Deadlands because I heard about it on your show. It's on I the did shelf too. over there. We haven't broken it out yet. Uh, but we played it on the show. We didn't record it. But back, right when the RPG Academy was getting started, I guess we were D&D Academy then, uh, we played a session at Deadlands. We used the Savage Worlds version. Okay. And it was the original crew. And again, people who've been around for the entire five years would know that. Um, it was me and Evan, Rob, and Nico. We were the four that were in it to start. And we had, I thought it was great. Rob loved it. Evan loved it. I had a lot of fun as the DM. And we were going to start a campaign for the show, except for Nico just didn't care for it. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and what was funny, we broke down, Nico's Greek. So he doesn't have that romanticized version of the old West that we probably, you know, he didn't grow up watching Westerns. Yeah. He, he had no cultural significance to him where the rest of us really got into that, you know, 
spitting in the spittoon and twirling the gun and I, that, the whole thing. We were all in, and he's just like, I don't get it. So <laughs> yeah, uh, so, okay. No, no, you know, not bad. I love Nico. He's a great guy, but he was the reason why we just didn't start a Deadlands campaign, which I'm still sad about because that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I remember looking at a game on Kickstarter that was very Western themed, but it was from Italy. And so, you know, very spaghetti Western focused, right. but that that love of Westerns there in particular is always really interesting for me. Just just w- what what do they still have out of that that we, you know, maybe don't have as much like we've gotten past that, you know, right. Um, I don't know, the new true grit versus the old true grit or something like that. Like one of those is a little campier than the other. Right. <laughs> All right, so let's dive into your campaigns. All right. So I think sandboxing, sandbox games is a good place to talk because I, I know sure. there's a lot of people have said a lot of things about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've talked on our show many times. I don't think railroading is actually a bad word, but I don't think people use railroading. When they say railroading, I don't think they mean railroading. I think they mean something else. Right, yeah. Um, but we haven't talked a lot about sandbox games. I think they can be extremely difficult, and I'm much more comfortable with the illusion of a sandbox First yeah. actual sandbox. But but what your description sounded like to me was like there were tethers on the characters. Like they could go wherever they wanted, but once they got so far, they were going to get pulled back a little bit. You know, you have yeah. these uh, newspapers and the follow up and the other, you know, the, the rivals that, you know, they might be trying to run one way, but you're like, oh, wait, a rival you care about's this way. Um, so do you think that's what those were? Were they a way to kind of pull them in the direction you wanted, but subtly? Yeah, I think. I think a sandbox needs something like that. And the ones that I have seen that seem the most successful are the kingdom builders, but that's because there's a sandbox purpose to the game, right? It's not about adventuring. It's about, I don't know, leveling up your economy or whatever, which is different. But um, I, I think those rivals and villains do a really good job of keeping people on task in a sandbox. And I think that's, for me, that's the trickiest part is because a sandbox means players should be able to do kind of what they want yeah anything they you know oh my gosh i wish i had a magic sword i'm gonna go find one now or i'm gonna find this material whatever i want and you know being able to add those behind the scenes things like okay so you you need to find the special material for your magic item you get there uh the the mine is corrupt and who is the corrupt person behind it well it's owned by this person who's been you know messing around with you the whole time like that's it's just um Oh, what's a good example? I've been watching The Blacklist a lot over the last couple okay. of days. <laughs> and there is like, you know, those TV shows have the the secret villain all the way through it. And you're, you're finding out who it is in small chunks as you go through. And I think that's fun. But I also just want to know who it is all the time. Like, yeah. tell me who's messing with me. I think that's that's a good player motivation. So and, and then going back to the Deadlands, like one of the things about Westerns that I, I think are a draw for a lot of people is it's simplistic storytelling. You have a good guy and you have a bad guy. You know, I'm all about morally gray characters. I love those. I love movies with morally gray characters or the anti-heroes. But when you watch a Western, you know clearly who you're rooting for, who you're rooting (laughs) against. They're going to be the most dastardly people in the world. They're going to tie old women to railroad tracks. They're going to burn your house. They're going to dam the river so that your crops die. They're going to be a-holes. So, right, right. It, so it's fun to beat them and destroy them, you know, whether yeah. it's shooting them with a gun or, you know, getting the law to go on your side, whatever. Um, and I think with a sandboxy game, having very clear villains helps. 
Yeah. I, I don't know if that fits with the theme of a sandbox very well, but it's going to help keep people on task because they know who they want to get. Now, in most movies, there's usually some sort of obstacle. Like, I know that's the bad guy, but I can't touch them for some reason because right, they're yeah. the sheriff or they're the richest person in town or they have the mayor in the pocket. So we can't just go up and shoot them. Mm-hmm. Though in most games, that's what's going to happen. So I think <laughs> that's the difficulty in, in my mind on telling a good story like that is how do you keep the characters from just getting into the mindset that we'll solve this right now and let it draw out and be a, a, a story that grows? Do you have any yeah. thoughts on that? Well, I think... You can do it like going back to the the birthright game, having those those villains be far away and maybe tendrils of what they're doing is coming to you. But it's not it's not a secret all the time. Like, you know who it is. Um, I think lieutenants are a super helpful way to do that. I think, you know, I don't want to do too much DM fiat, but sometimes I want my villains to escape. If I'm telling a story with them, I don't want them to die right now. I don't you know, it's sandboxy. So it's hard to say like players, you can't kill this villain because I have said so. I like them too much. But um, at the same time, I do want to write a story that keeps those characters around a little bit. So, you know, I I also besides Westerns, I think about the James Bond movies, Mm. you know, there, if you consider like, (laughs) you consider the, uh, what is it? The MI, MI6, right? Yeah. They are, they are the, the railroad of the game. You're supposed to do it this way. And James Bond is like, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to follow this lead. I know this person is who I want to find and I'm going to track him down doing all these, you know, different, different options, whatever I choose to. And the world is just going to kind of put up with me. Yeah. And yeah, somehow. (laughs) And I think that's, that's a lot of it. I think putting them in situations where if you kill this villain, something bad will happen. Like there's something else going on. I'm going to have to let you go. I mean, that's, that's a pretty traditional cartoon way to do it, you know, right. well, but I like those. I, I want to jump in there. And again, this is something I know I've said many times before. I don't mind a railroad when I'm the player because I like structure. Oh, yeah. sure. sure. I, I, when I was in college and we could play for the entire weekend other than stopping for food, then I probably would have wanted it to be more open and let me do whatever. But we get to play maybe four hours a week. Uh-huh. I want to do something. I want there to be yeah. some sort of sense of accomplishment. Right. But I don't want the, the DM to decide how I will handle it. And that's exactly the James Bond thing where there's the bad guy, go kill them. Okay, well, instead of just like shooting them, I'm going to go seduce his girlfriend or her girlfriend or her yeah. boyfriend and, you know, get into the their car. I'm going to plant a device in the car so I know where they go for on vacation. Like, I'm going to make it this crazy elaborate scheme because that's fun for me. At the end, I'm still going to kill the guy or the girl. Right, like, right, that's the right. goal. But I'm not just going to go there and shoot them. I enjoy approaching problems from these weird angles. So yeah. I don't mind structure as long as I can do what I want to do within it. I think the James Bond analogy actually works very well for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the kind of sandbox that I would be most comfortable playing in. I. You know, when I was in high school, of course, we played games where it was like, whatever you want, and I'll just, I haven't prepared anything at all, and I'll just run that world for you. And, you know, the the more I play, the less I want that, honestly. You know, I want... I want to know that whoever is running the game has a story in mind and a structure behind it. And even if I have some freedom right now to do, to do certain things, that's all, that's all building to the, you know, we're telling the same story. It's not, you know, to, you know, I want, I just want a unicorn right now. I want a unicorn as my paladin mount. I want that right now. (laughs) And so we do that instead of whatever the DM came up with for the day. You know, I don't, I don't need that anymore. (laughs) The the idea of a truly sandbox world does not sound fun to me at all. I don't think I would enjoy that. Uh, You know, I, 
it's just, I don't know, it just doesn't fit my personality. I'm not saying it's not fun for yeah. other people, but it's just not what I would like to do. But I do like to have the appearance of a sandbox. Uh, sure. You know, I, and even though my games tend to have some linear elements to them, I think the players feel like they have a lot of freedom. Um, I, I do a lot of transitioning. And I, I've said before, I run my games a lot like TV shows. Like it's like an action TV show. It's like Firefly where something happens, you interact, we have a scene, and the next thing you're in the next thing. You know, I try to gotcha, skip yeah. over a lot of the boring parts. It's like, okay, you're now at the town. Oh, look, it's on fire. Okay, you put out the fire, and they point the guy who set it on fire went that way. Okay, you've caught up to them. You're you're you know you're only a mile behind them, and I just try to keep getting to the parts that are actiony, but I still let them approach these challenges however they would want. That's good, I and mean, that sounds yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> I want to I want the best highlights out of a sandbox. <laughs> so, do you think that um, these birthright? high-level NPCs, do they work similar to, like, icons in 13th Age? Because that's what I thought of when you were talking about them. I have not played 13th Ooh. Age very much, so I, I can't answer that. Um, are you you're tied to them somehow? Is that part of it? Do you write them when you write your character? Yeah, when you create your character, you determine uh, you have so many points you can allocate, so you could have three of these icons that you have a kind of a tenuous relationship with, or like one that you have a strong relationship with. And the relationship can be positive, negative, or complicated, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of the same thing. Like, you know, you could have, let's say that one of your icons that you don't like is the Lich King, because, you know, right? Sure. So when you're trying to do a thing, and there needs to be a complication, rather than it just being a random NPC, it's a lieutenant of the Lich King. Who's like, you've been screwing with us. We don't like you. So you fight them. And then you're like, oh, this guy's got the tattoo. He's part of the Lich King army or whatever. Right. Or, you know, you could have situations where someone else who doesn't like the Lich King will show up and go, hey, here's a free magic item. I want you to go kill this guy because I know they work for the Lich King and you don't like the Lich King and I don't like the Lich King. So even though you can kind of do what you want, you have these elements that kind of keep sliding in that again, they kind of help tether so that you can kind of control the story without making it feel like a railroad story. Yeah. I, I like that idea a lot. I, I should play that more often because that sounds like exactly I really like what I want. I want to play more of it. It's, <laughs> wow. it's a game I want to play more of. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, on a similar topic, I read finally the rules, the, uh, the spark of fate, uh, world building guide. Have you okay. seen this document? It was I from have, fate. I have not. It is. It is a sit down. It was like a design the world sort of thing. Like let's let's all the players in the DM let's let's decide what our world is going to be. And then at the end of this session, you make your characters. And so necessarily, like you have been involved in creating these groups and these organizations and these villains. So when you make your character, you care about them. And so you're going to tie yourself to one of them in particular. And you've already kind of decided where your campaign is going to go. And it's it's just a, a very formulaic way of doing this this story build together as a group and deciding what is your campaign going to be about what are your issues going to be like what is going to like you have to decide what is the issue that was just solved as we enter the scene what is the one that is important and what is the one that is about to happen and so you can kind of watch your campaign change over time and uh, just any way to tie characters to the story with villains and and NPCs that matter, I think is great. You know, when we write our backstories for fifth ed, I could write whatever I wanted and hope that someone ties those in, but just the ability to actually do it, I think is really important. So however we do that, that's the game I want. And it can be as sandboxy as you want after that, but I want some ties. <laughs> well, it, it's, uh, it's, 
required at this point, I have to mention that a good session zero, and at this point we drink. Oh. Because <laughs> every time we say session zero, we have to, oh, said it again. Uh, but any game that you're playing, if you have that pre-meeting thing, you, you can do that to a level. Like That sounds like a very structured and organized way to do it. Yeah. But, I, but I think anyone who runs those pre-game sessions should do some of that. You know, whether it be you tell me about your background and you decide, okay, in my background, I used to be part of this group. Okay, that group is now part of the game. Right. And, yeah. and similar to 13th Age, when I need someone to come into the scene, rather than it being random NPC, it'll be someone from that organization or someone who doesn't like that organization in some way. I mean, yeah. when you talk about tying people's backgrounds together, I think that's all, that's all there is to it. It's not overly complicated. You know, let them give you some some factions, some people, some NPCs, some themes right. that their characters care about, and then just use them in the game. Instead of random people, use those people. Man, you say it like that, and it sounds so easy. I mean... <laughs> well, again, I'm an idea man. I can say okay, it, okay. but actually doing it, that's where the problem comes in. Yeah. It's always, you know, you get to session one, and I have my carefully crafted story, and oh, what what, what were those character backgrounds yeah. we were talking about? And then it goes off the rails. You know, I've played enough of those as well that I, I love this perfect world you are showing me right now. <laughs> it, it lasts about five minutes. You know, once yep, the introduction yep. is over... All bets are off. Yeah. We're going to a dwarf stronghold. That's what we're doing. Like, there's a ruin. Your people aren't there. <laughs> so a couple other things I want to talk about with your, your campaigns. I, sure. I've, I've played D&D, played Oracle games, very, very long time. The longest I've ever held a campaign together was three years. And even that was kind of rocky. And I've never actually ran a game or played in a game that got past seventh level without like cheating, like people just, you know, like when we were kids, we do stuff like crazy, like you're 40. <laughs> yeah. How did you keep two campaigns back to back that lasted that long? Uh, well, we were the kids in, uh, in college who just played every single weekend. And so we had a, a big group and we would rotate storytellers. And okay. so we would do, we would do my birthright campaign one weekend. We would do a friend's rifts campaign the weekend after that we would do, you know, a different D&D campaign or shadow run, you know, we would just keep cycling through and we would just play everything. And so it, it was easier. It was a, it was a simpler time back then, <laughs> yes. for sure. But, uh, but that birthright game in particular, at the most, I had 11 players. Oh and my God. Yeah. That's a different world. That was fun, <laughs> but it was second ed. So you know, you do whatever you wanted in second ed. It didn't really matter. <laughs> Um, and so it got easy, you know, as time passed, I would lose a player and, you know, my life just got easier when we lost right. a player, yeah. honestly. But, uh, but it was, it was fun. Um, we ended up playing campaigns that for long periods of time with a group of maybe five of us that were just core. We were in the team and that was it. And one thing we would do is we would play a session. We would play an adventure. We would level at the end of that adventure. We'd wait three months until someone wrote another adventure for that setting. And we would just keep going. Uh, that was an Eberron game we played where we were like the superheroes of Sharn. And it was a lot of fun because we all just co-GM'd it and just, you know, it got harder, I think, to make those longer games happen. That's that's the the next longest one I've ever played, I think. And it was with three of us GMing and playing, you know, once a quarter, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I just, at this point, it's so hard to try to keep something together. It gets, yeah. Like, I, I've, I've come to appreciate one-shots so much more um, for the podcast too. They're just easier 
You know, sure, you get yeah. right together, you play a game, it's fun. And then when it's over, it's, do- it's over. Uh, but, <laughs> but trying to say, okay, we're, you know, like uh, I use the example, Dark Discovery. It's a campaign that it's, it's technically been running two years, but I don't think we played more than 10 times. Yeah. Uh, we, we're supposed to play every Tuesday. I have a core group of players who play every Tuesday. We went on a stretch of about six months where we never played because something always happened. Oh, wow. Yeah, we, we all, we're all adults. We all have jobs and kids yeah. and stuff. It's like, my kid's sick. Uh, I'm on vacation that week, so I'm out of town. Uh, you know, literally just the other day, one of our players' car got broken into and all the stuff got stolen. So it's like, I can't come over. And oh, jeez. So it's like, you know, I can't blame a guy for that. But at the same time, right. it's like, yeah. it's so difficult. When I was in college mm-hmm. and we could just, you know, play. You know, it's just right. like, hey, we're not yeah. going home this weekend to see the family. So we'll just play for like 48 hours straight. Yeah. Um, but I, I look back on those games I ran. There were some terrible games. So we could I, play a lot, but I don't <laughs> know the quality was there. We we stayed up for 48 hours and I ran an adventure at the start of it and they wanted to play again that same weekend. And so as we were running other games, I wrote another adventure and I swear to you, it was just a straight line dungeon. And at the end of it, there was like a deck of many things. That was it. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was it was one of those like I have not slept in a long time, but you <laughs> want this. So yeah. here we go. Um it was. I, I remember that and regret it so much. <laughs> I can remember uh, some of the games I played. A lot of them involved because again, it's a joke. If anyone listens to the show, all my games involve a magic dagger, a tower, time travel. Okay, that, that's not wrong. <laughs> like, no, you know, no, no, that's good. <laughs> on on average, you're going to have those things. I had games with aliens, yeah. uh, so like all the players were captured by aliens and taken to like a war world situation. Sure, fought as gladiators, and once they were free, they were exploring <laughs> this alien world. Um, I had players find essentially a lightsaber. Like I remember that very clearly. Character found we called it a sun sword, <laughs> but it was a lightsaber. Okay. I got gotcha. you. And I told the guy, I was like, <laughs> "If you roll a one, you cut something off." Got it? Got it. First roll, <laughs> rolled a one. So we had him cut his leg off. I was like, "You don't know how to use this thing. It's not a real sword. It's basically a stick with a, you know a laser out the end." Yeah. Um, so we would just do the weirdest stuff, like nothing. It's you know, Gygaxian dungeons with crazy stuff next to each other. It mm-hmm. makes no sense, and all these puzzles that when you take a minute and step back, like who designed these puzzles? Right. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. like who designed the thing that you have to like go in there and take the torch, and you gotta light the torch in the hallway, and once it's lit in the hallway, you can take it back into the room, and it will light the brazier, and the brazier will blow green smoke, and then you have to find the green. You know what? It's Who fun knows? to do, but it makes Who no knows? sense. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We uh, we wrote a game called Dungeon Brawl, which okay. was PvP. That's all it was. It was fifth level, second ed characters all fighting in dungeons full of loot and monsters. And that kept us going for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I-, I can absolutely see that. Yeah. It was all fun. Right. So circle back around. Deadland, okay. Birthright. Are there any things that you did in those games that when you look back on them, you're like, I would do that differently now? Um, I think in all of those, I, you know, that session that happens before session one, uh, we, does that count? All right. I just didn't do a great job at those. And you were just talking about them. Yeah. And so characters were, excuse me, were very broad and it was trying to push them all together into the story. And often I had one player, so one of my one of my groomsmen, <laughs> and uh, he always made a character who didn't like the rest of the party and didn't get along with them and just led to inner party conflicts. And for me, that made the game less fun. 
And those, those can be interesting. They can be intriguing, but sometimes they are just, just a pain for everybody and build up and build up and build up. And so I, I wish that I had done a thing where everybody was going to be on the same page from the get go instead of just like, you all randomly meet in a tavern or whatever. And yep. now let's figure out how to be friends. Like I more and more really enjoy the idea that we are friends coming in or associates or something. Yeah. I pretty much don't start a game anymore where that's not part of it, where you are already friends. You already know each yeah. other. You already like each other. You're going to put yourself in danger for each other. You can figure out how and why if you want to. I don't really care, but you will be friends to start with. Cause I got yeah. so many times it's like, why would I care? This guy just got himself captured by goblins. I don't care. He's dead. Sure. Like, yeah. But that's the reason I captured him. I didn't want to kill him, you jackass. You know, <laughs> so now it's just, uh, just so frustrating. So, yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. If I could go back in time and tell myself anything, it would be have those pregame meetings because I didn't do those. for the yeah. last, It's probably yeah. the last five years I've done those. And they're so helpful. I think that's that's a thing you learn with a lot of experience. Like once you've played a ton of campaigns that only last three months, yeah. you you start to look at what went wrong. <laughs> and that's that's one of those things. I've run many of those campaigns where we've done one adventure and I'm like, oh, I don't want to make another one. <laughs> yes. Everybody hates each other. <laughs> or, or try to salvage like, well, we only played four hours of this game. So can I take what was there and change the names to protect the innocent? <laughs> and, you know, this is tried again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, a good friend of mine did that. We we all died in the very first room to a bunch of zombies, so we all made zombie hunters after that. It was just paladins and clerics from then on out. Nice. The, the things we learn. <laughs> just random topic. I remember we played Spelljammer once. Oh, wow. Once. Okay. And um, and it was, um, I mean, I'm sure like everyone who's played Spelljammer did this. They found a derelict ship floating in space. Yep. went on board and it was full of zombies and monsters and you know <laughs> they had to fight the way through it and one of the rooms i i had written i just written on a sheet of paper 99 skeletons like I, that's it <laughs> and in my mind i wanted it to be like an action tv movie and this uh-huh. was long before minions were a thing or before i knew what minions were and it was awful it was so boring it's like okay you attack you killed a skeleton the four skeletons attack mm-hmm. you you know, and it was like a three-hour slog. It was so awful. Yeah. Uh, so minions, minions are a good thing. They are minions a good in thing. every game. <laughs> they make things that are supposed to be overwhelming not overwhelming. Yes, it's great. <laughs> and uh, I also did the super minions, uh, which is what I did when I played fourth edition for a while. A super minion would take two hits or a critical. Oh, so, nice! So you could throw a bunch of enemies at people, and the ones that knew the system would be like, "Hey." why don't you cast this spell and we'll figure out if these guys are minions or not. And yeah, when yeah. they don't all fall down, then there's like that terror. Like, Oh God, we're fighting 14 <laughs> vampires. We're dead. Not knowing that 11 of them were actually, you know, quote unquote super minions. They just needed one more hit to take them out. Right. Um, so that's a good way to, cause I love minions. I think minions are a great thing to have in a game. Yeah. But when you use them a lot, you got to kind of change things up a little bit. So every now and then throw in a super minion. Gosh, that makes sense. Uh, Birthright had a war system, like big oh. battles and units, combats and stuff like that. And that was, that's the thing I've never, I've never, never been able to see work well again, but it had a lot of those ideas, like one hit, the so they would be like cards on a mat, like you turn it sideways, second hit, it's gone. And it was so nice. <laughs> Just so, to give people a little bit more heft and like armor was a third spin or something like that. Okay. Yeah. It's one of the things that we've also go. never done well is uh, like, combat or mass combat 
So the, what I have settled on, and I've never done it yet, uh-huh. but my idea would be to stat out each like unit, squad, whatever, as an NPC. So there basically would be a character. And then you would just have the two characters fight, but they represent, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100,000 people. And then if the player characters are in that squad, then you count them as like a magic item. So gotcha, I have an NPC yeah. that my fighter's there. Okay, well, they get plus two to damage and they're immune, or the razor saving those, whatever. So do you think that would work well for us? Because I think it would. They haven't done it yet. Yeah, I think it could be interesting. I mean, that kind of just changes combat so it's like instead of being my character i'm this unit for a little bit you know you could like pass out one side's units and you play all the rest of them um i think that's is that pretty similar to what Kristen chris perkins put out in the unearthed arcana I didn't it might be it. i don't know yeah uh, i can't recall off the top of my head they tried to simplify it really hard and it's still complicated because it's still mass combat so I, i'm never sure how to do it i think that could work Okay, very, very cool. So anything else that you would want to touch on for Birthright or for Deadlands? Um, I, if I could go back in time, I would make them last longer. Ooh. No, it's just, I love those games. They were a lot of fun. It's, it's interesting to tell a story that long. I don't get to do that anymore. Um, I played a lot of Pathfinder Society and just running games. And so organized play is such a strange thing because you, you play a one shot and then you have your characters next time, but the story is totally unrelated. So the only story you have is your characters. And I guess I like that, but I miss those old games. So I would go back in time and steal those games and put them in the present. And then I would run them on Twitch. So (laughs) once again, tangent, have you been familiar with this game yet? I've not played that one yet. No, I saw it at PAX and I didn't get a chance. So it's because I've said before, I'm not a huge fan of organized play. It's I've only played it a couple times, but it doesn't yeah. seem to be the type of game I like. It's very focused on combat, kill stuff, get the loot, repeat. If I could call anything a railroad, it would be that. <laughs> Which, again, if people... If you enjoy that, I'm glad oh, sure, it exists. Sure. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Remember, no, no. And, and yeah, I'm just saying, like, I even though it's not my... my cup of tea i'm glad it exists mm-hmm. for other people yeah but Dragonfire is basically that you basically you play a character he's a lot kind of like D. you just kill things you take their stuff you level up and i love it and i think it's because <laughs> in my mind it's a separation it is it is not role-playing yeah and because yeah. if i'm role-playing i like it's something like video games if I play a video game, I will cheat code, I will mod, I will camp, I will, you know, XP <laughs> grind so I'm like 17 levels higher than I'm supposed to be so I can walk through the game. Don't care. Role-playing games, <laughs> I could care less about stuff. I don't care how powerful I am. I don't, I don't like combat because to me those are completely disparate things. And Dragonfire is that that dragon dungeon crawl type itch. And I just don't do any role-playing and I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah. But if it was like a little bit of role-playing, <laughs> I probably would hate it. Yeah, it could be. Um, I haven't played that. I played a lot of the Pathfinder adventure card game. I'm a Pathfinder guy. You know me. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I listen to you talk about it a lot. I'm just like, someday he'll come to our side. <laughs> I've calmed down. I haven't played Pathfinder in quite some time. Yeah, it's all D and D now. Game. Good game. It is. A, it is a very good game. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy that. I, I enjoy going through the locations and clearing out the monsters and getting the stuff. And you know, it's a very, it's a different animal. That's for sure. And and I do think that it called a lot to the people in Pathfinder Society, excuse me, who would be like, I'm going to make the most min-max broken thing in the world just so I can kill stuff as fast as I can. Because that's that's a type of play that I can get behind in the Pathfinder Adventure card game <laughs> or yes. potentially in Dragonfire. That would be a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I um, I met a, I had a friend at work. Uh, we were acquaintances. Sure. Um, but he and I got along. He actually he was like the um, the inventory captain for the region. So every time a store had inventory, he would show up. I was security, so I went to every inventory. So even though he would only come to one, each store once a year, I was at each store that he went to. Okay. So we'd see each other eight, nine, ten times a year, and we'd always hang out and talk. I mean, seemed like a super nice guy. And and after a while, I kind of figured out that he was a player. You know, like I sniffed him out. Got it. And so I was like, <laughs> so so, what are you playing right now? And and this, and again, it's it's like a litmus test. And I'm not making any value judgments, but there's a certain type of player that when you say, "Tell me about your character." They talk about how much damage they can do, which which feat tree they went with, which magic item they have, their what multi class they went into, so that they can do a million points of damage in a round. Yeah. And there's another group of players that tell me about your character is like, well, she's an orphan, you know. And I'm yes. in that camp. When you say, yep. tell me about yep. your character, I'm gonna tell mm-hmm. you my backstory. I'm gonna tell you why she's a sad figure. And, right. Oh, she kind of does <laughs> combat on occasion. So nothing <laughs> wrong with it. Just not my cup of tea. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I'm glad that there are games for both, and I've enjoyed both of them uh, over the years, for sure. Yep. And again, I'm happy they exist for whoever wants to play them. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm all about that. All <laughs> right, so let's move on to everyone's actual Ooh. favorite part of the show. Okay. Rich, where have your fingers been? Oh, gosh. So again, for anyone who might be new, we're going to play an improv game that I am terrible at. Darcy put <laughs> me to shame last week. It was embarrassing oh, wow. how much better at it she was than I was. But... We're going to create a little scene, one at a time. I'll prompt you. You'll prompt me. Got you it. create a scene with your fingers, and you're like, hi, this, you know, I, I want to play okay, Pathfinder. Right me too. And <laughs> so you create a scene. Uh, you're allowed to bring in a third person if you would like. Got it. Uh, or h- however many you would like. But you're supposed to have a scene that has a beginning, <laughs> has a middle, has an end Whew. in some way. Okay. So, Rich, you're the guest. Would you like to go first, or would you like to prompt first? I think that I would like to go first this Ooh. time i want to okay. i want to hear your prompt before i come up with my own okay so yeah. the first thing you have to do is you have to do the song okay okay so you hold up your fingers where have my fingers been i said where have my where have been? my fingers been your fingers have been searching for an apartment in los angeles <laughs> it's too real it's too real <laughs> so what did you think about that one um, well, the, the ceilings were very tall, but the, there, there wasn't enough light in the building and well, hold on, hold on. I like that there was light in the building. And I also liked that landlord that she was, uh, she was a little, she was a little scary, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, she, <laughs> she told us that she would give us like half off the rent and then not run our application. And I think she was trying to scam us. Is that possible? <laughs> I don't think so. I think she was very trusting, and I, I enjoyed the way that she came out in a bathrobe to talk to us. And that was really—I mean, it was what I felt warm and comfortable in in her uh, in her apartment. Um. Well, did it have a swimming pool? Oh no, it didn't have a swimming pool. Well, we live in LA now, so there's all right, all right. New, new, new apartment, new apartment. <laughs> Yay! Fantastic. That was that was so good, so good. I, was, I decided to keep on on the real tangent. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely okay wow where have my fingers been i said where have my fingers been oh my gosh all right your fingers have been uh oh playing playing your third game of dragon fire in a night you know we played 
two times before, and we have not won once. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is the seventh time that we've played this game. Yep. Have we won once? Nope. So why are we still playing? Because we get two XP every time we try, and I'm three XP away from leveling up. All right, you're right. Uh, and that's about fingers up in. Uh, this game is ridiculously oh difficult. I have played it seven times. I've won it one time. Oh, wow. Um, so here's my question for you about yeah. the game that we just played. <laughs> well, how about that? Well, how did you keep your eyes away from your fingers? Because I feel, were they just because they're close together? Is that what's going on? I, well, I, I have you up on my screen, so I was watching uh -huh. myself this way. Like I could oh. see it. But not I didn't even I didn't even think about that. I could have done that the whole time. But no, I looked at my fingers. <laughs> nice. But it's your first time. You're a pro. No, no. Again, Scott and Matt put me to shame. Darcy put me to shame last week. So uh, okay. absolutely. I'm not good at these, but people seem to enjoy them. It makes people laugh. But I'm happy to be past them. And now we're going to move into cryptozoology. Ooh. And this is where we're going to talk about a monster, something that we may have used in a game before, something we might use in a game in the future. Uh, you are the guest, and tonight you actually were going to move away from D&D &D again. We I was. Last week we were Numenera. Tonight we're going to talk about a monster from the Phoenix Dawn Command role-playing game from Keith Baker, my yeah. lord and savior. Um, <laughs> so tell me, for, well, first of all, for people who don't know what Phoenix Dawn Command is, can you give them the quick pitch, and then what monster sure. are we going to talk about? Uh, Phoenix Dawn Command is a game about being kind of a superhero in a way, uh, and you live multiple lives, and basically the, the leveling mechanic is dying. And so it's a game that represents like the war scenarios with heroic sacrifices and things like that. And you are fighting against a, a oh, it's a fantasy world, okay. <laughs> fantastical dread that you just cannot stop. It is, you know, we are probably all going to die in the face of this unless some miraculous people do something amazing. And you get to be those people. Very, very cool. So what is the monster we're going to talk about? All right. So true story. If you look at Dawn Command, uh, I'm in here. So I'm, I'm pumping myself right now. <laughs> uh, I was an editor and developer of this game, but uh, I have chosen... Rub it in, Rich. I, you know, I like this game. <laughs> uh, I want to look at the Fallen Folk. Um, have, you, so have you played any of the, the games in the book yet? Well, okay. So again, I own the game because I pretty sure. much anything Keith does, I buy. Good. Uh, Everyone should do that. Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, and then Kenna actually ran me through a character building session at Gen Con one year past. I remember that. Yeah. I have not touched the game since. Okay. So one of the, the, the creature, we call them challenges. The, one of the things that you're, I'm not going to say we, Keith Baker calls them challenges. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I ride on his coattails sometimes. Um, uh, the fallen folk are these these ancient denizens of like a previous world, and they still exist. And whatever they used to be for, now they are just these like enigmatic, mysterious creatures. And they all seem to be focused on like uh, they're kind of like folk spirits, uh, if you will. Like one of them that we we face pretty early on is the harvester of fear. Uh, there's another one, the tinker at the crossroads. You know, they're they're kind of these these folk stories that we have applied to the world of Phoenix Dawn Command. And the reason I like them is one, because they do tie back to those other stories that we know, but also they're all about bargains. They're all about not, not that we might fight. Sure. We might, but it's possible. Some of these are benevolent characters or neutral characters that okay. you might be able to bargain with and get something reasonable out of. And there might actually be, you know, evil ones that, you know, like devils or whatever you could make a contract with and it would be binding because oh, that's okay. the kind of characters they are. 
And I love it because I think devils are so limited. There's just there, you know, if you want to make a, a deal with an evil thing, awesome. But like, there's no good that I play with very often. I'm sure there is, but I, I love these characters because they're, there's only a couple of them outlined and you can start coming up with your own, like any oh, the backstory is so deep for these as well, but, but there's just so much story to it. And when you put them into a, an encounter, the question isn't like, how do I kill it? It's like, Oh my God, what is this here for? Like, what, what were you all about? What are you about now? Like, can we be friends? Are we, can are we, be friends? yeah. <laughs> Will my society allow me to be friends with you? It's all this, this sort of amazing, just question and answer stuff that comes out of a monster. I love it. I love it. <laughs> very, very cool. So uh, to harken back again to last week when Darcy was on, we talked about a creature from Numenera and it was in the same vein as it's not something you just poke with a stick until it dies. Yeah. And I, I'm a big fan of that in, in D&D or whatever game I'm playing. I don't want just to have a sack of hit points. And when that sack is empty, I win. Right. So the idea of having a, a devil that has a more of a role play, almost like a puzzle. Like I first have to figure out who you were, figure out what you want. And how do I use that either to save myself or to manipulate you in some way? Yeah. Um, I'm also a big fan of Supernatural, the TV show. So the Crossroad Demons, where you, which is Devil's Demons, but you have to make a bargain, yeah. you, you sell your soul, or you you make some kind of pact. Like, that could be a really cool element where, mm-hmm. you know, you you have this devil. And, you know, again, that's the point of a devil is they give you what you want, but the cost is more than you expect. Right. Uh, the Tinker at the Crossroads, there's there's a wonderful moment where it shows up. I'm just going to ruin this for everyone yeah, okay. listening right now. Spoiler, oh, spoiler alert. Very you. brief spoiler. Okay. <laughs> uh, what the, the Tinker at the Crossroads says is, here's a bargain. I will give you the power to save a mortal life, period. You know, here, here's a trinket. If someone is dying, they're not dying anymore. The end. Um, what I, the cost of that will be one of your lives. So you're a phoenix. You can come back. You might, you know, you might come back at the the hearth that is a long ways away, you know, the Imperial flame. You might not be able to get back to everyone right now, but that's a cost that you could pay. Uh, of course, the Phoenix only has so many lives, and once they're done with those, their character is finally done. But in the short term, it's like, I get more powerful when my character dies, so I could do this. There's a limit to how often that's possible, and then the, the uh, situation at the moment, like, it's hard for me to leave, actually. So, there's a lot of, of like pros and cons and, and kind of gaming out. Should I actually take this bargain? And it's just a really, really cool moment. And I won't tell you why it's stressful to make that choice because it seems really easy, but it's, it's a, a very cool moment. Okay. I like it. All right. Very, very cool. A couple of people in chat have, are giving some props to uh, Phoenix Don Command. Um, I think uh, it looks like Tanner was editing while we were talking about it. I'm sorry, Tanner. Uh, but yeah, if you didn't know, <laughs> uh, Rich, you said you did some design and editing on that game. Yeah, uh, I helped edit and develop. I was in the like play test for two years before that came out. So it was uh, uh, Kenna and I were both in that. So with some friends. Jealous. We've um, been playing Phoenix a long time. <laughs> so it, it, let's take it out of Phoenix just because not a lot of people, unfortunately, have played that. But, yeah, that's fair. So let's say D&D. Could you use something similar? I, I say yes, but can you think of any specific times that you could do a similar thing in, like a, let's say, a traditional D&D game where you have a devil or any sort of powerful being, being that makes a bargain. Have you done that or you think of some examples of how you could do that? I haven't. Um, there are some interesting examples of 
um, NPCs who have gotten in those situations. You know, like uh, I, I recall a Pathfinder scenario where there was a diva who was somehow tricked into signing this bargain where he had to guard a bunch of, of evil characters. And so the PCs were like, do we kill like an angel right now? Is that what we're about to do? And then there were consequences whether you did or didn't. But that was an interesting moment. I think it's the tricky thing about that is, you know, as D&D players, I'm really used to the like, how do you write a wish that doesn't get you killed or, you know, that sort of thing. So I think a lot of players are unwilling to take those kind of bargains, um, which is why I think having them so clear cut is is perfect. It's just what is the benefit that you're going to get out of it and what is the cost for that going to be? D&D has a tricky time paying costs, you know, like hit points or nothing. So yeah, what do you give up? Well, and I think too, because I love the idea of that. I do actually love the idea of an NPC um, that has done that bargain ahead of you. Uh, one, because it's easier to control because you never know what a player is going to do. You try to put it sure. in there and they, they poke it with a stick till it's dead. But if you have an NPC that's introduced, they've already made that bargain. You know, you have a lot of role play opportunities. And then especially if you can bring that same devil or demon in later who made that bargain now wants to make a bargain with you. You know, so you've, it's not just out of the blue, like, hey, this is a cool encounter. It's like, well, no, this, this demon's already made this bargain with two other people. I'm just another person that this doing this bargain for. But in D&D, because it is D&D, is it really going to be a difficult, like, okay, I'll give you my soul. And then when that character dies, I don't care. I'll just roll up a new character. <laughs> yeah, you know? absolutely. So, so how do you make it impactful? Is it just something else? To, do you take someone else's soul or do you do like a, um, you know, like I get your, I get you for a day. So I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to take your soul. But at some point in the future, I will come and get you wherever you are. You will come with me and you have to do everything I say for one day. Yeah. I mean, that's a devil's bargain. Hmm. That's true. And I think, you know, you would spend the rest of that campaign trying to figure out how to get out of it. <laughs> yes. And that's exactly um, what would happen is yeah. we're going we're gonna to make the deal because we need to, but then we're going right. to try to find a way to get out of the bargain. So I think potentially dealing with the Fae instead, like making a, a Fae bargain might be, might make people think that that's a more neutral option and that they're not immediately going to get, you know, killed in a wish or, you know, that this, this creature is trying to mess me up. But the, you know, if the Fae are really in your world about making fair bargains, which that is absolutely a creature type that could, depending on the type of Fae you use, um, I think that might be an interesting way to do it. And I really like the, like, uh, you get to do what I want for one day. It'll be in a year and a day, I'm going to come find you and you make it storybook. Yeah. And I think we're, we're more into storybook bargains than deals with devils. And the thing is, um, one of my friends, Rich Howard, runs the Whelmed podcast. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've listened to it. Not uh, yet. <laughs> it's it's really good. It covers Young Justice, the TV show, the cartoon, which is amazing. I should say animated <laughs> series. It's not a cartoon. Um, sure, yes. But one of the things that happens in that, and huge spoilers, okay, if you haven't watched Young Justice, careful. At the end of season one to the beginning of season two, there's a time jump. There's a five-year gap in time. And at the end of season one, the main Justice League, you know, Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, they all disappear and they're gone for for days. Like, I think they're gone for like 16 days or something. And a lot of season two is figuring out what happened in those hours. So I like the idea of if you make that bargain, then it's going to happen off screen. You don't know what you did. You come back into the game and then you start hearing stories 
about something that happened. It doesn't have to be tragic, but it probably will be. And it's like, oh, wait, I did that. Maybe you go into a town and everyone hates you, you know, or tries to kill you and you don't know why. It's because you came to this town (laughs) in that day and did something. Uh, Rather than putting them there like the character role played out, I think think it would be more fun for a D&D game to take that control away because that's really what you're doing. When you make that bargain, you're giving up control. So to make it real... I would take the control away from the player. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, I was just thinking about The Hangover. Like you're describing The Hangover, the movie, <laughs> in, in a <laughs> way that, that I care about. Yeah, exactly. That that you're discovering these things that happen that you were not in control of and could not, you know, I would never let someone play in that because that's, that's not the bargain, I guess. You know, it's, it's like when you cast... Uh, a compulsion on a character and then you're like attack your friend you know as well as you can and they're like well what's the weakest thing i could do right now? yeah <laughs> um you it know because wanna... you're gonna smite <laughs> yeah exactly do the hardest thing you can like hit them yep and you know it's people crossing that line is difficult so it's hard to trust someone in like a more story impactful way like you know you go into a town and who knows what you do that'd be that would be a lot of fun to figure out as a mystery that would yeah. be great <laughs> All right, so I, I think that's solid. Um, I do need to play Phoenix Dawn Command at some point in time. I really want to. It's just, again, it's so hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is really hard uh, we, to we get a game together. We had talked to Keith uh, on email at one point. He came to a Catacon last year. He's not coming yeah. this year, unfortunately. Um, and we were going to try to do a trial, and it just basically was it, you can't do it over the Internet. Yeah, it's really hard because you've got the cards. You got the cards. Now, there's probably a, a tabletop, maybe Roll20, that could have done the cards for us, but we don't mess with that. I don't know, so we just didn't do it. Uh, but I would really like to play in Phoenix Dawn So anyone listening, yeah. a Catacon, anybody who wants to run it at a Catacon, <sighs> might get into that game. <laughs> I haven't gotten to play in quite some time. I, uh, I was writing an adventure, and I got to play test that a few months ago. And now I'm just kind of putting that back together, but that's, that's the last time I've gotten to play. And it's really sad because it's a, I, I really enjoy the, the idea of a heroic, like warlike wartime sacrifice. Like that's not something you can do in most games. And it's so perfect. I, the thing about Dawn of Command that, that really intrigued me was the mechanic. And, and I'm not a mechanics person. I'm, I'm not a designer as much as I like tinker and armchair design, but I like the idea. Cause I, you know, heard Keith on podcast talking about it where, where you have the cards in your hand before the challenge. Yes. You know how much effort you have to spend on this challenge. Do you want to defeat it now? Do you want to try to set someone up? Do you want to try to hold some reserve in case something else happens that you're not aware of? And it's it makes the it makes it a decision process rather than the you know the random roll of a die. So I started thinking, could you do that in a satisfying way in D and D? Because again, I play D and D all the time. It's kind of oh wow. Play. So I come up with an idea, and I've not actually play tested it yet. But I I drew up cards that was one through twenty four times. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And then the idea was that you would have the players use those cards, so they would draw like five cards, and those would be the results they would have. And you don't you didn't draw until you used all of them. So like you might have a four and an eight and a seventeen, and it's like okay, you want to attack. Which one are you going to use? Are you going to pick to use a four? Yeah. Because you know you're going to miss, but you know you can na- narrate it in a way that's cool, or do you use the seventeen, or maybe use the eleven because you're trying to figure out what the armor class is, you know. And I just I I haven't actually played a game using it yet. Wow. I'm intrigued by it. I I'm very curious actually about doing something similar, but this would be no dice anymore. We're we're moving out. <laughs> but what if you had cards that just said uh, miss slash fail, hit slash succeed, or in critical success, and you had like 
four fails and five successes and one critical. And you, you had those for like the next three encounters or something, you know, maybe at the end of the day, you get those cards refreshed or something like that. Like that would be, that'd be a really interesting way to play. Um, I do like how Phoenix let Phoenix, excuse me, lets you uh, have more control. Like there's more counting, there's more math, there's more, you know, numerological outcomes. That's the wrong word. I don't care. But <laughs> um, no one's smart enough to correct you. At least I'm not. <laughs> that's not what I called my show. It's not. <laughs> um, I like that idea a lot. I think I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, I sorry, Phoenix. I like the math. I, I enjoy it. Um, it does make it really up to me what happens in a round. I, I think the key is just that you need to have the randomness before the decision, which is a thing that if I look at Numenera, for example, where I put in my effort and then roll, and sometimes my effort is wasted. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right? By running, I haven't run Numenera in a long time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you yeah. basically spend effort to bring down the target number. And yes. if you roll like an 18, then you would have succeeded anyways, but you right. already spent the effort. So, and if you roll a, a two, then... You know, you're out right. of luck. So that, but these twenty is even pain. worse because you spin it and still failed. Yeah. So, I, I do. It would have to be some way where you do the randomness and then you get to deal with a plan with that randomness already sorted out. Yeah. Any way to do that, I think, is good. All right. Very. So I'm in. I'm in for your system. Okay. <laughs> well, well, maybe the next time we do a catacomb, you can come. We'll, we'll do a play test of that. Game. That would be good. I'll get, I'll get there. <laughs> All right. So we're going to move into the last part of the show. This is uh, basically a question and answer. Anybody that's in chat would like to ask any questions of Rich or myself. Whoa. They do not have to be role play game related, but they certainly can be. Uh, you know, obviously we can choose not to answer them, but but for the most part we do. Uh, there's a bit of a lag. So while we're waiting for chat to catch up to see if anyone has questions, Rich, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh my goodness. I'm just looking at the chat for the first time. This is great. <laughs> I'm excited to go back and read it all. Um, you can find me at, uh, on Twitter at R Molina. Uh, that's a good place to just base camp. Um, but atomicgametheory.com is where I do all of my posts and videos about game theory and such. Um, and then I also do the Going Last Tabletop Gaming Podcast. So you can get that at goinglast.net or at wherever you stream podcasts from. I don't know. Yep. And definitely... Listen to Going Last, but prepare to spend money because they will get you into so many <sighs> Kickstarters. Oh. I had to stop. I really did. I had a problem. <laughs> All right. So a couple questions here. Uh, Bobby asks, uh, how are we doing the split screen? So uh, we use a program here called Zoom. It's a, it's a pay-to-use program. It's very similar to Google Hangouts, except instead of having one big person and everybody else little, it makes everybody the same size. And that's why we do that specifically for this reason, so that it looks better on the uh, on the show. But thank you for the question. All right, I'm trying to see if I can scroll back. We had a couple other questions. Oh my um, gosh, I just saw Storium. Someone mentioned Storium, which is another amazing like that thing I just said about the success and failure. That's Storium. Just play Storium. <laughs> so good. Uh, so, what are the advantages of role playing tabletop versus video games? Oh wow, that's a big question. Yeah, it is. I'll let you take it. (laughs) Hey, thanks. Let me know when you're done. (laughs) Let's see. Uh, I don't play video games multiplayer in the same way that I play tabletops multiplayer. Like, even if I'm playing Destiny, which is a game I love, um, I think when I'm raiding is the only time that I'm actually making plans with other people and making choices and being happy with each other's company, I suppose. (laughs) You know, video games, it's a very solo thing for me. And... I play tabletop to play with other people. I don't, I don't play a tabletop game to 
sit quietly and win, I guess. So I am, I'm activating very different parts of, of me as a person in those different settings. hundred percent agree. I, I think part of it's my age. I don't play multiplayer video games, even if it's designed to be multiplayer, I play it solo. Like that's just for me again, video games is something Mm -hmm. I do by myself or maybe someone in the room. It's not something I do, you know, over the internet basically. Yeah. Um, And again, when I play video games, I'm playing to win. I'll use cheat codes. I'll do whatever I have to, to get my character as powerful as possible. We're role playing. I'm exactly the opposite. I don't care about power at all. It's just the, the story I'm trying to experience and do fun, cool things and make everybody at the table laugh a couple of times. So they're very different parts of the brain uh, for me. I will say real quick that even when I play Overwatch, which is just a multiplayer video game, I play with the chat off. I don't I don't want to talk to people. <laughs> I just want to do my thing, which is never something I would do in a role playing game ever. <laughs> uh, so Craig mentioned I uh, want to know if when he's ready, uh, could he talk about his game on your podcast? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I will say right now that Kenna is the interview master. She <laughs> so. Um, Definitely make sure you check in with her to get that on our schedule. But that would be a lot of fun. I like talking about games, doing the interviews. I love doing the Kickstarters as well. So just make sure, like, let us know when it's live and we will check it out. No problem. So here's a fun question from Prime Sauce. Uh Um, If you were an action figure, what three items would come packaged with you? (laughs) Oh, wow. A chalkboard. Um, (laughs) That's a tricky one. Yeah. Um, would my action figure have a copy of the DMG? Potentially. And I would, I would say the DMG more than the PHB, honestly. <laughs> that's, that's where my stuff is. Yeah. Um, okay, that's two. Oh, wow. Wow. Who's, who asks these questions? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Prime sauce. Prime sauce. I'm just looking around the room right now. What could it be? Um, something I did recently, I guess, a project I worked on. So I would need an Enigma coding machine. Oh wow. Okay. That's like a, a signifier of all cryptography. Yeah. I just I just did a big weird cryptography project that was nuts, and that would be like the crowning achievement. Is I have taken this Enigma machine for my own. <laughs> <laughs> so there's three. There's so, three. So, so what was your three chalkboard? Player's Handbook, Enigma Machine? Uh, DMG. I'm going with the DMG. DMG. Yeah. Uh, I think for myself, it would be a microphone. Okay. uh, A D20. Oh, nice. And um, an inflated view of myself, like ego. Can I I put that in there? (laughs) Inflated self-purpose. I I totally thought you were going to say like an inflated like like pool toy like an inflatable unicorn <laughs> or something like that. I, well, yeah. To be honest, if it was, the other thing probably would be my iPhone because sadly I am on it a lot. I understand. Um, <laughs> so short mania forty four says Kickstarter kick Kickstarter. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh! It's so we've been recording remotely, and that is so hard for me to sing now. Like when I was in the same room with Kenna, easy, but now it's just me by myself in a quiet space like what do i do <laughs> See, i would find that the other way like in front of someone i would be more self-conscious but in a by myself i could just go crazy and then try to edit down a little bit oh yeah i i should just try that i guess i don't know why like we're we're on facetime when we're recording now so oh, yeah. it's she's still there and i don't know how loud i am so it's really <laughs> it's weird so uh, dirty habanero asked did we buy lords of hellas also i don't know what that is or what that's referring to you i don't either so he may actually be talking to someone else in chat. I'm trying to sc- scroll okay. down. But, but uh, Dirty Habanero, if you want to clarify that. 
Uh, it looks like that right now that's the last of the questions. So, again, we'll give it just a couple seconds to, to let the catch up. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but while we're waiting, thank you so much, Rich, for being here. <laughs> again, bottom of my heart, I love you. And, Kenna, I love your show. I, I like everything that you guys do. I just I think you're a force for good in the hobby, which is what we strive to be as well, just super positive. Um, so I, I want as many people as possible to listen to your show and spend money on Kickstarter. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. I love being here. We, we talk about the RPG Academy all the time <laughs> and, and you and all the stuff you do and that we just want to be, ah, I, I just, I just want to stream games all the time. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm working on it. Working on it. Um, so Fair enough. again, I'm not going to PAX. You're not coming to a catacon next year. Yep. Are you guys going to origins or Gen Con maybe? I would love to try out origins. Uh, for sure. Um, I have been convinced that that is a, a solid place for gaming. Yeah. And so I want to do that. Um, we may still go to Gen Con just because it's, you know, it's an opportunity you can't turn down if, if you know, you get the chance. Yeah. That's what I've learned. I've only been twice, but, you know, I'm probably going to go three times. I go to Origin every year. It's Again, I'm lucky it's close. It's a two-hour drive, so it's, it's a different yeah. scenario for me yeah. than other people. I will definitely be there. If you guys are coming, let's do something together. Let's run a panel together or something, but definitely let's game together. That sounds fantastic. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's it for the questions. So, Rich, once again, thank you. And everybody in chat, thank you for playing along and asking good questions and having fun. Uh, we're going to do our awkward wave out now. So you just start waving awkwardly until I find that button. Uh, there, it's good and close. Uh, there we go. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.